Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's LaMarvelous. Thank you, guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 8th. My name is Jake Luke, and on my screen right now, Kyle Barber. What's going on? Looks good, man. Just another day chilling at the house, doing some sports writing, knocking out some online homework. Another nice day outside, at least, thankfully. Sounds like you're making the most of it. Trying my best. I like that. Also on my screen is a uh, bandanaed Vasily Larikos in his garage right now, just looking all sorts of intimidating. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm good, brother. I'm good. Looking forward to draft season. Starting to get excited now. Yeah, it's really fun. We've been doing a ton of draft talk on the show. Spencer and I's episode from Monday was almost two hours. A lot of it was wide receiver talk. Don't know how much, uh, if any of that, you guys were able to listen to. But it's it's a, a lot of movie talk. I, I caught some of that. A lot of movie talk. It was good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we opened with a lot of that, uh, a lot of stuff related to his family and uh, some of the stuff that his extended family does as far as the restaurant business and uh, the club business and all that kind of uh, you know stuff. So it was pretty well received, I think. People tended to like it, including Spencer's mom, who was kind of straightening some records uh, as to, you know, some of the stuff that he was talking about. So a lot of fun. We're going to be doing a lot more of stuff like that moving forward, because once we get through the draft, like that's going to be it. You know what I mean? Like that's that's it. There's no OTAs, no like there's going to be no camps. And it's kind of a scary thought, but I feel like we're going to be able to get through it. I'll be devastated if there's no camp. That's one of my favorite things. There will be training. Uh, there, I think there will be. Training. I think there will be training camp in some capacity, but no like mini camps and OTAs. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. It's it's kind of a content suck a little bit year after year where we're like, oh okay, like Deshaun Elliott is like flying around OTAs, man. This guy's going to be a stud. Um, and it just kind of doesn't happen, but it's like it, it's something related to football, so we kind of have to cover it. But maybe it, it it'll keep us a little more honest this year that we're really only talking about the tangible stuff, and then uh, yeah, we're we're not really expanding on things that maybe don't matter as much. What do you think about that, Kyle? Content. Game. I think I'll be sad that anything is canceled. Um, I love being able to 
write those articles to be honest um they're all they're you know they're puff pieces a little bit and uh they're a little bit hyper hyperbolic but it's always nice to hear something about football in the middle of summer you know when everything else is dead and i'm not the biggest uh baseball fan so i don't have a whole lot of sports to watch uh midsummer and i'd really really lose it if uh training camp i know you said that that's not going to be canceled or you don't expect it to be but I will be so sad if it is, man. I love going out there to training camp. I travel all the way from Colorado, all the way out there. I do the drive. I don't know if everybody knows that, but I do the 27-hour drive. I love going there, visiting. You uh, do that drive, and then you commute in absurd amount each day. (laughs) Yeah, it's not easy uh, to people listening. um, I drive every day from Wilmington, Delaware to Owings Mills, uh, there and back every day to uh, attend training camp once I'm out on the East Coast. And then it is the 27-hour drive from Colorado to the East Coast just so I can I can attend and the drive back. Uh, I've been debating trying to find somewhere to stay in, uh, in Owings Mills so I don't have to keep doing that ridiculous trek. But it's brutal. But, I mean, I remember uh, being super young and just barely joining Baltimore Beatdown. And if somebody would have told me, like, the only thing stopping you from interviewing players and coaches and doing this as a job is – driving that distance that's what keeps me going is like it, 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 all you got to do is make this drive and you can you can be a media member would you still do it of course so it's totally worth it i'll be so upset though if it's canceled or or if it's like shortened or pushed back because that's when school season's going to hit me and then i won't be able to attend because i got classes so we'll see what happens let's get to some positive news though yeah definitely so uh, yeah, man, if I had my own place, I, I'd definitely put you up easily, but still living with the rents, um, really close to the facility. It would be super convenient for you not to rub it in. Um, but yeah, I mean, moving on to the news, we had a couple of bits that we wanted to touch on. Uh, we can, we're going to get to the Eric DaCosta press conference uh, availability that you were participating in, Kyle. Uh, first, though, something circulating on Twitter the other day. What was it? Last night, two nights ago. Chris Johnson tweeting something to the effect of, I can't, I was just sitting around thinking about why the hell did I join the New York Jets instead of the Baltimore Ravens back in 2014? 2014, of course, the year that Justin Forsett was signed and broke out for a 1,000-yard season, but Chris Johnson also had gone on to have some pretty good years during and prior to that, I believe, with the Jets and with the Cardinals, almost signed with the Ravens in 2014 into that Gary Kubiak offense. What do you, what did you make of this, Voss? Uh, this was news to me. I didn't know that uh, CJ2K was interested in coming to the Ravens. Uh, Kubiak's offense, obviously prolific. Just another, I guess, example of um, Forset, I mean, why it's not smart to invest big cap dollars or big or high draft picks in running backs. Um, but Forset had a great year. I don't think Johnson would have necessarily had a better year. So what do you, I don't know what else to make of it. What do you what do you think that contract looks like? Like at the time in 2014, what do you think they were offering him? Couple mil, I guess, two three mil, something like that. I don't know. On a different note, real quick, do you guys remember the game where Ed Reed twisted him when we beat the Titans in the playoffs? He was running all over us. Was that that Jamal Charles? Was that 08? Yeah, I no. Oh yeah, I think it was 08. Yep, Flacco's rookie year. Gotcha. Yeah, took him down. Nice. But he was a hell of a player, but he was past his prime. And that's the problem with running backs. They have about five, six, seven years, unless they're in a timeshare like Ingram, and then they can last eight or nine years or so, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Um, it definitely does seem like a thing where fans are going to look back and be like, oh man, that was so crazy. But it's easy to forget that he left the Titans after being unproductive. And I think he had some injury issues. So he was kind of bouncing around a little bit and he was not a hot property at all by the time in 2014. What did he, did he get drafted in 07? Was it? I don't recall. I don't recall, but what he ran a four, two, eight at the combine, I think. Um, but I don't four, two. It was year. like a four, two, three, I think. Right. Cause he broke the record and then it was this whole big deal. And like every single year, he would watch the combine and he would like tweet about guys that like were making him nervous. And I remember like Dre Archer in 2015 got really close and he was like tweeting about it. And I thought that was quite, kind of funny. And then John Ross actually did it in 2017. Yeah. John Ross, they say that that will never be broken because not only do you have to be fast, but everything just has to be perfect every single step to get that low. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about like Henry Ruggs is like a lock to get really close to doing it this year. And I was like, yeah, I like he's really fast, but like, I, it just, it doesn't add up that it's probably ever going to happen again, at least not within the next decade, at least for me. We'll see how much further can they push training and nutrition? I don't know. Yeah. That's actually a good point. That's a really meta interesting point that you just made there. Maybe there are, just going to be robots on the field in 10 years. What do you think about that? I don't know. Maybe the whole society is going to become robots after this pandemic's over. Who well, knows? We, yeah, we were just talking and you were telling me how much you love esports. So like, what if it's all just esports by then? <laughs> uh, you were just saying that are... before we started recording. So, yeah, uh, I was, was I, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, man, this is just craziness. Uh, hopefully we'll get a, of treatment sometime soon. And whoever thought something like this was possible, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, things happen, I guess, you know? Indeed. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these are uncertain times that we're living in. The only thing certain about these times is how uncertain everything is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kyle, what did you make of the Chris Johnson situation? I thought it was cool to just hear a player uh, voice an opinion like that. You know, it's it's not often that we hear a player talk about his regrets on signing in free agency or making comments like that. That was a really candid moment. I thought that was cool. Um, also, with it being a, a big-name player like Chris Johnson and uh, and his talent, you know, a player of his caliber was, I thought, really unique. Um, he would have been great in that Kubiak offense. That's for darn sure. If uh, Forsett can produce 1,200 yards in that year, uh, it would have been pretty dope to see what uh, CJ2K could have done in that in that offense running behind. I believe Osemele was still there, and yeah. uh, and Marshall Yonde. It would have been it would have been really exciting. What happens to Justin Forsett? Do you think if he does get signed? Let's say they both get signed. What does that offense look like? Man, that'd be pretty unique. Um, maybe I don't think CJ2K was used much as a as a pass catcher. And while Justin Forsett wasn't too talented in that regard, he's probably a little bit better in that skilled position. And he'd have been used as a, a third down running back. Um, he could have spelled behind uh, uh, Chris Johnson in many situations. And, you know, he had he had a great size, speed, and agility combination that I think Chris Johnson didn't quite have. Like, Johnson wasn't known to bully people. He wasn't known to uh, – and neither is Justin Forsett, don't get me wrong – but I think he has a little bit more sideline speed than CJ does. CJ obviously burns just about everybody in the open field and in straight line speed, but maybe four sets a little bit more talented along uh, some, uh, you know, interior plays that aren't 
running it straight, you know, waiting on counters and stuff like that. Um, but that had been a really fun two-headed beast of an offense and uh, and a running tandem for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, it would have been a cool matchup. The thing I remember most about Forsett that year was his just tremendous patience uh, doing the uh, cut style running and that uh, that one cut um, zone blocking Kubiak type thing they had going on. I think Castillo was still the O line coach at that point. He had been kind of maligned after that year in 2013, but he really turned it around. So good for him and good for them. Just a fun little situation that we wanted to touch on there because CJ2K, kind of a big name guy, pretty and kind of a candid guy too. Like you mentioned, and it's interesting to see that kind of candor. Um, he's a guy who has kind of spoken up, not, I wouldn't say totally similarly to this before, but he's always, like I said, watching the, uh, the 40 times and everything and pretty available guy. So, uh, yeah, good dude, CJ2K would have been fun to see him here, but you know, like Voss was saying, kind of a luxury, not totally necessary. Uh, the other bit of news we wanted to touch on was, uh, Eric DaCosta having his, media availability i guess it's the pre-draft press conference because we got a couple of weeks to go here uh kyle you were in attendance for that a lot of stuff was discussed uh you know him and john harbaugh taking a walk in the woods and one of them not returning mentioned not really sure what to make of that um kind of sounds like some sort of uh dean Koontz novel but um yeah i mean what what did you make of it man what how would you summarize the experience of sitting in on that yeah, that was uh, the biggest kind of presser that I've ever been a part of. Um, I've spoken with Harba at the you know podium many times, but having Eric DaCosta there was a, a unique experience that was a, a first for me. Um, it was really cool to, uh, you know, the Zoom style meeting is a little unique. Um, you know, they go in order and they were calling out reporters by name in this instead of having us all raise our hands through the computer system. But uh, hearing Eric DaCosta talk about draft, whether he's, you know, it's all smoke screens or if some of it's real or if all of it's real uh, was really cool. He talked about how many picks the team has and what their plans are, uh, how many players are on the big board. I think he said 185. He talked about 25 receivers being draftable this season in, in this draft, excuse me. Um, also, he very quickly deflected the uh, Antonio Brown question. That was pretty fun to fun to listen in on and, and hear firsthand, you know, and, and uh, be able to see him and uh, Hortiz, who's the director of player personnel, and John Harba all, you know, in attendance and listening and responding to all these questions. Uh, I eventually got asked mine. Mine was at uh, Harba because he said previously in the, uh, you know, uh, in the presser, he talked about how the playbook is nearly complete. And so I was able to ask him about it. And he said, one, you know, this is always about when they have the playbooks finished or completed. Uh, with some terminology and then they try to you know make new ones for throughout the season so they can have their calls uh, hidden still when it gets later on and it was pretty cool to hear him talk about it and talk about Derek Wolf and how Derek Wolf's been bugging him on a daily basis to get that playbook because he wants to study he's super excited to be playing for the Ravens this year Uh, but yeah it was really fun Uh, it was really you know just an enjoyable experience to talk with DaCosta and Harbaugh and, and Joe Ortiz. Very nice. Voss, what does the term liar's luncheon mean to you? It's all deception, right? They say one thing to try to throw teams off their scent. I found some of the comments interesting. Uh, Joe Ortiz, I'm not sure where I saw this quote, I guess available to everybody. He was saying something along the lines of there's some middle round linebackers that can do a specific skill. 
alluding to maybe the fact that they want to continue with the platoon style uh, position grouping there and maybe not take a inside linebacker at 28 as so many have been uh, mocking to them. But I was thinking about this a little bit. On the field between the hashes with Roman and Martindale, the Ravens zig when the other team zag, right? Every, uh, the schemes are predicated on deception. But in the personnel department, they've really been making kind of the obvious choices. In free agency last year, uh, in the draft last year, they needed a receiver. The top receiver fell to them. They took him in free agency this year. I think a lot of us had a feeling they were going to remake the defensive line and tag Judon. So that kind of seems that the front office is kind of swimming with the tide. They're not necessarily going against the grain. Either way, I'm just I'm interested to see what uh, what they're going to end up doing here. In that sense, Kyle, what is the approach as someone who is going to be asking a question to try and get something authentic out of these guys? Uh, first and foremost, John Harbaugh hates comparison questions, so don't ask him to compare one thing to another thing. You will quickly shut those down. Um, I think you just got to try and, and find a, a question that's not easily answered. You know, you need you, you want them to be able to explain what their answer is and why, as opposed to just getting the simple yes or no. Uh, I think there's also a balance of asking a question that doesn't sound foolish, but like a lot of time I've, I've and I've done it myself many times, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty new to this, let's be real. Uh, you want to ask a question and you want to explain that you're not dumb while you're asking the question. You'll ask about, you know, like way back in the day, I asked uh, a question about Crockett Gilmore and I took more time than Harbaugh did answering uh, or responding to me because I was clarifying that I knew stuff and I wasn't just trying to ask a, a question that was so simply answered. And uh, and I think that's a really important factor. I really try to avoid that. Um, and also not having a rigid question structure is uh, is important for me. If they talk about something that you want to be interested in or you want to hear about, Rather than sticking with your script, uh, go off of that and and uh, and ask about it. Like that's what I ended up doing. I had a I had a list of questions that I was interested in, and as opposed to going with that, I, I really wanted to hear about the playbook and and how the NFL works with those uh, specifically. Like when is it usually completed? Was it because you had both of your coordinators return, which was a big factor for. Uh, for the Ravens, you know, after we expected one or both Greg Roman and Don Martindale to uh, sign elsewhere. So, uh, that, that it, you know, that's some of the, the ways that I try and prepare for, for any presser. So how would you gauge the crop of answers that you and the, uh, the rest of the reporters there? I know friend of the show, Jonas, was involved, a couple other uh, reporters that we know a little bit. How would you kind of grade your guys' uh, questions this year and, uh, in terms of the answers they wound up producing? Uh, as for the questions, I mean, most of mine were gone within the first 10. Uh, it was really quick. And, and Eric DaCosta, when he opened, you know, answered about three of them before anybody even got a question off, which was pretty cool. Uh, I like that, uh, you know, some of the individuals that go to the podium uh, just go out there and, and answer questions before they've been asked. Uh, Don Martindale is really big on that. He'll go out there. It's a big, you know, it's a big uh, football guy move. Just walk out there, like, hey, you know, great day from the linebackers, great day, special teams, and they just kind of like start going. I, that's I've noticed that at least. Yeah, I really like when Martindale gets the podium. Like 
uh, every four days, I believe, it, the coordinators have to uh, appear and, and, and respond to questions so it's not the head coach every single day. And Martindale, every day, every time on the day four, he always goes out there, explains the position groups, explains who's competing, who needs to step up. And uh, he's like, you know, it's obviously too early to tell on anything. So he just gives his huge opening monologue and we and we get maybe two, three questions in because the rest of them can't be answered yet. You know, it's too early to tell. So, uh, but as for what I graded, you know, the answers and the questions, great questions, uh, some solid answers. Uh, I like that uh, DaCosta said, you know, I have personal feelings about Antonio Brown and I don't feel like sharing those right now. I thought that was a good way to deflect it, but also say like, that I have my opinion that let's not talk about this right now. Uh, I want to talk about pre-draft stuff, you know, but he did it in a respectful, but also polite way as to not like shame a reporter for asking a question of like, you know, cause we've all been seeing it on, on social media. He'd be with uh, Hollywood and Lamar and everybody. If you had to take and just kind of pick one main takeaway from it, what would it be? I think the the Ravens are really excited about this draft. I, I bet Eric DaCosta is, you know, excited to get and install more players into what he sees for this franchise. They got some great draft picks. They have a, you know, a first rounder. They have two second rounders, two third rounders, and I think they they're excited to grab a couple players that could make the difference in being a fourteen and two and zero playoff wins to. You know, maybe a ten and six with three playoff wins. You know, maybe a championship. And uh, I think they're really excited for this season and this off season as well. Very cool. Well, I guess that sums that up. What do you guys say we take a quick break and then jump into the main event? One quick note. Go ahead. Um, Yitzi, our our former colleague, sent me a link earlier today that the Steelers. GM, I guess, is proposing the idea of making the draft 10 rounds. I saw this, yeah. Yeah, I guess to, uh, he says, to eliminate the margin of error. I think he's just worried that the Ravens are going to scoop up all of the UDFAs. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I, I saw that exact tweet from Banks. I was like, yeah, they, you, you can definitely tell that a lot of uh, a lot of these maybe less savvy teams, and that's not to say that that would be the Steelers by any capacity, but a lot you got to think a lot of these uh, – teams that maybe aren't as confident in their scouting department are kind of shaking in their boots a little bit here because this is going to be very unconventional. Uh, and I think that's kind of a lot of fun in that way. We've been, you know, watching the draft our whole lives. It's been pretty much the same product. I mean, and it's kind of getting to a point where it's just comically blown out as this big primetime event. I think kind of watching it as it's going to be where it's like maybe a Zoom call type deal where it's just kind of like a fantasy draft. I think that intrigues me a little bit. I'm actually kind of looking forward to it to see how this operates. Uh, it's going to be real interesting. You know, one person's Wi-Fi goes out or, you know, a, a player's picked that's <laughs> last name's the same and the first letter of the first name is the same. You know, it, it, it's going to be wild. Hopefully they figure it out and, and got all the the possible mistakes out of the way now. But it might be a little bit more fun if they don't. And we'll have more content. I'm all about that content. I love the idea of just like, Mike Mayock and John Gruden's Wi-Fi going out and them having to like fiddle with a modem and Gruden's just like punching holes in the wall, like trying to pick some receiver from like Mississippi State that ran this really fast 40. But 
Yeah, I guess that. <laughs> Can't they use a hard line? Can't they have like a hard line? You, you, yeah, like office? that's like those are backup. Every the, team has one hard line or something. Those those are the jokes. Like you got to think they're going to be. Figure something. You got to think the they're going to. Yeah, you got to think they're going to be very well prepared to make this thing go off with the least amount of hitches as possible. But uh, yeah, I guess that's all we have on that. Then you guys ready to jump into Ravens Madness, the finale? Ready, ready, ready. Cool for sure. All right, so jumping into it. Uh, it's been really fun up to this point. We have a couple of rounds to go. Uh, figured we just kind of knock them all out tonight. How are you guys feeling about jumping into what is ostensibly going to be the finale of this little exercise, Voss? I'm ready to crown a champion. Honored to be included in the panel here. Listen, man, we're honored to have you. That, that goes for any episode. You know this. No doubt. Likewise. Kyle, any thoughts before we get going here? Yeah, I'm excited, man. This has been this has been fun to this point, and I can't wait to to finish this thing up. Would you been Would you say that you've been waiting for this moment uh, for all your life? Oh Lord! <laughs> Shout out to Ray. Clever, Lewis. clever, nicely done, nicely done. But I would not say that. Yeah. Shout out to Ray Lewis. He's going to figure heavily into this. You got to think. Uh, starting off, purple division, a one seed versus a five. And for a quick refresher, this is the late 90s, early 2000s, guys. Jonathan Ogden as a one versus Chris McAllister as a five. Voss, we will start with you. As much as I uh, think McAllister is underrated and deserves a spot in the ring of honor, you have to go with Ogden here. Just the best of the best compared to one of the best. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm slightly surprised Vass just couldn't clutch the the homerism there. I was hoping he'd say Chris McAllister just so it wouldn't be a a sweep that I'm assuming anyways. Uh, but yeah, I'm going for for Jonathan Ogden as well. Top uh, top three left tackle of all time, man. Yeah, for sure. And I'm obviously going to go Ogden, so that's a clean sweep. What do you guys think the legacy of Chris McAllister as an NFL player is? Because he doesn't really get talked about that much these days. But he was a freaking hell of a player. I'm looking at uh, Pro Football Reference AV right now, approximate value, and they have C-Mac as the number eight Raven all-time behind only Yonda, Nada, Flacco, Ogden, Reed, Suggs, and Lewis. But, but legacy-wise, I don't think he's going to be remembered as fondly. I think some of the younger Ravens fans coming up that didn't watch him play in person don't quite have the admiration for him that those of us who watched him make all those plays and lock down all those receivers for all those years did. I don't think, uh, you know, these newer Ravens fans even, even know who he is. Unfortunately, he was a, an incredible playmaker, you know, physical, big, strong, fast, you know, he has all the, he had all the tools of, uh, what you want in a, in a cornerback, but unfortunately, you know, he's not a part of the ring of honor. He's not, you know, anything more than, anything more than with quotation marks there uh, a great corner in football you know uh he's probably deserving of more i think he's deserving of more but you know it he'll be forgotten to players on the same teams that he played that were far greater than him 
he was at a weird time too. I mean, we look at cornerbacks right now as the premium of the defense and uh, it just kind of wasn't the case back then. It was all about stopping the run. And like you mentioned there, Kyle, he's just overshadowed by better players, frankly, and also much bigger personalities with guys like Ray Lewis and Reed. And uh, even a guy like Saragusa has a bigger personality than him um, on that, you know, first Super Bowl team. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting in that way. And I think he kind of fizzled out a little bit, had some financial issues. So it wasn't the cleanest ending necessarily, which, uh, you know, that's, that kind of is what it is. I'm not going to judge a guy for that too much. Uh, but I do wish he was remembered a little more fondly by history because it does seem like he was, uh, one of the better corners of the, I would say the first decade of the century. He made the all-decade team timely because the, the new one just was released this week. Yeah, I saw that. So that's probably his crowning uh, achievement. Yeah, he's he's got that. He's got a Super Bowl ring in his pocket, right? So, I mean, you know, what what else can you really ask for? No Not much else. Cool. Moving on in the same bracket, we have Peter Bulware as a six versus Jamal Lewis as a two. Kyle, choose. Going with Jamal Lewis here, the big rugged running back and his 2000 yard season he's he was the workhorse of the you know the early ravens offense he is one of what six seven players that have ever produced a 2000 yard season and overall you got to go with the the man who was the offense of an entire football team yep i'd go with jay lou as well so it looks like he's going to be going through on this one um Voss, I'll throw Bullware a vote, though. I'll throw Bull a consolation. He he played for longer for the Ravens than Jamal did, and at just a high of a level at his position, in my opinion. Well, I was going to ask you. You probably watched him as closely, um, you know, more than both of us. How would you like describe Peter Bullware to a younger Ravens fan who didn't get to watch him? It was just a premier pass rusher, an elite pass rusher. People nowadays say. Judon isn't quite that elite pass rusher and Suggs faded towards the end of his career. But as far as a pure natural pass rusher, Buller is probably the best in team history. And having him on the one side and McCrary on the other side in the Super Bowl years was incredible. Uh, they wouldn't, it was obviously the best run defense of all time, but also one of the best pass defenses in large part due to Buller. Yep, absolutely. Great player. Glad he got some recognition from you there with that uh, vote, though it didn't ultimately matter too much for him. Moving on, we are now into the black division. Coaches, executives, owners, all that jazz. First matchup, we have a couple heavyweights here. John Harbaugh as a two, or as a one, excuse me, versus Ozzie Newsom as a four. Voss, we'll start with you here. This is a tough call, obviously, to... Men that are been very impactful on the Ravens. Not a, can't find a whole lot of fault or flaws in either of their resumes. Ozzy, perhaps the game caught up to him towards the end. Harbaugh also had his flaws. Maybe hiring some some coordinators that didn't quite pan out. Um, that I'm gonna go with Newsom because longer track record greater impact, um, and he has two Super Bowl rings. Harbaugh only has one. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and vote for Harbaugh on this one. Um, I think that it's interesting because what was the face of the Ravens from the late 90s to 2008? It's probably Ray Lewis. I think since then the face of the Ravens has been Harbaugh. Uh, I think he's a guy who 
just carries himself exceptionally well. He is adapted exceptionally well. He came into the league as kind of not a player's coach. He was a little bit of a hard ass, something Ed Reed has touched on a little bit. And he's just been incredibly adaptable over the years, even going back to switching over from Joe Flacco uh, to Lamar Jackson and just completely like changing the course of his career over a decade in. And uh, he has that Super Bowl ring that you mentioned. Um, and I just think he's done a tremendous job of transitioning the team a couple of different times and uh, just doing what he had to do to keep things afloat. And now he's got them really, really humming. I think it's incredibly close and I don't regard you at all for voting for Ozzy on that one. But uh, Kyle, I guess it, it comes down to you on this one. You know, I, I went back and forth on this a couple of times and listened to both of what you had to say. But ultimately, I think Ozzy Newsom is the person to advance in this situation. He's been with the franchise from the very beginning. He has drafted multiple all pros, multiple Hall of Famers. He's built this team multiple times to win championship games. He's hired, uh, you know, great coaches over the years. He's been a part of every decision this franchise is, has made since uh, their inception. And ultimately, I, I believe the person who helped build the team is is going to edge out the person who has been coaching them for uh, not the entire tenure. Like, Ozzy's been a part of. Yep. So that is your first big heavyweight matchup, and Ozzy Newsom is through in the black division. Uh, moving on, we have another very tough one with Steve Bashotti as a three versus Brian Billick as a two. Kyle, what do you think? I'm gonna go with the owner of the team, Steve Bashotti. He's he's uh you know able to spend the money he, he's willing to spend the money to make this a championship caliber team he wants to win he doesn't just do this for the profit you know some uh owners just do this so they can continue to build up their financial accounts but steve Ashadi pays the big bucks to land big players and and uh ultimately try and win the elusive lombardi trophy i think he's he's the one that's gonna win in this situation for me Voss, who you got? I'm going to go with Bashadi as well. Billick was a great coach, as we've mentioned, helped make the Ravens what they are. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you're just Bichotti getting so emotional with a, a lot of these, man. I, I, you know, you're bringing up uh, my childhood or my you know later childhood here with all the, the players, just bringing back so many fond memories. <clears throat> <clears throat> Do you, should we take a minute for you to collect yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but Pashadi, as we said, he's been first class all the way. He built the castle in Owings Mills, which has been a lore, a selling point to free agents. Ravens press conference, which they, he didn't do this year for the first time since he owned the team. And I don't think he was planning to do it before the pandemic started either. I guess he figured after 14 wins, what do we have to say? He's been such a steady hand. What was it, 2015 or 2016? Where uh, I'm not, not 2016, the year before we drafted Lamar, which was three years ago now, um, a lot of people were thinking that Harbaugh's time was up, and Bashadi said, "No, we're we're staying with continuity." And at the time, I was against that. I thought things needed to be shaken up, and Bashadi was was 100 right. And as you said, Harbaugh's adapted, as you said, Jake, in the last segment. That was a great point there. Um, but I think Bashadi. They don't have either of the Lombardis without him. He's the owner of the team, so he gets my vote over Bellick. 
He's an owner who also knows how to stay out of the way, too, because you mentioned, Kyle, that he cares a lot and he spends a lot, but some owners do that to the detriment of the franchise. Kerry Jones, I would say, making all these draft picks uh, for the Cowboys probably hasn't been great for them at, at certain times, but he definitely does want to win. Um, he's just, he can't get out of his own way in that respect. He can't let the smart football people make the decisions, whereas Bashadi as willing to spend and invest as much as any owner in the league, but also knows that, you know, I got some smart football people here, and uh, sometimes I need to just kind of get out of the way and let them do it. So I think he just has that perfect uh, mindset, perfect sentiment for how to own a football team in 2020. So great uh, pick there, Steve Bishotti going through. Moving on to the red division, we have a one in Ray Lewis versus a four in Terrell Suggs. Boss, go ahead. Wow. Wow. This is a very tough one. Very tough one. Two Mount Rushmore members, clearly. As far as who I who was my favorite, I think towards the end, Lewis got a little bit too preachy for me personally. And I liked Suggs the way he carried himself. I remember at the games where they used to play that song lose your mind and he would just go nuts like during type tv timeouts just start dancing on the field and like putting his you know swinging his fingers around his ears and everything not a guy whose body uh, type is necessarily really conducive to like rhythmic dancing but he just somehow pulled it off it's yeah and you know a lot of his quotes and he wasn't afraid in fact on anybody um all that said ray lewis is is the baltimore ravens in a lot of ways so I, he's going to advance for, for at least he gets my vote, I should say. Yeah, he gets mine as well. Um, it's, I think, pretty eloquent how you put it there and that he kind of got a little bit too preachy and sort of up his own ass a little bit towards the end of his career. And now in post-career, he's kind of a controversial figure in that way. It didn't really work out as a broadcaster, so he's kind of drifting a little bit, uh, whereas guys like Ed Reed, kind of the cool, calm demeanor translates to that a little bit better. And Suggs is a guy who you mentioned, pretty self-aware, um, funny dude, self-deprecating to some extent, uh, but also very confident, very badass, and was a very good face of the defense uh, after Lewis and Reed departed uh, from 2013 on. So a strong matchup, but I think you do have to vote Lewis through here, kind of by virtue. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, you got to vote with uh, Ray Lewis here. Historically great linebacker, and though Terrell Suggs, you can say the same about Ray Lewis was the embodiment of the Baltimore Ravens and he was the identity for the team more so than anybody or anything. Uh, both outstanding players. Uh, I'm very similar with Vass in the regard of who was my you know favorite of those two. I'd, I'd honestly say uh, Terrell Suggs personally, but Lewis is the, the right choice in this situation. Definitely, and he will move through. Moving on, the second Red Division matchup is a fun one. We have Ed Reed as a two versus Marshall Yonda as a three. Kyle? I love both these players. Uh, I've wrote a lot about both these players and watched them play out of their minds game after game and you know make incredible plays from pancake blocks to interceptions, but... I got to go with my personal favorite Raven of all time, and that's going to be Ed Reed. He's just everything you'd ever want in a player, and more specifically, a safety. Voss, what do you think? 
Ed Reed clearly just as great as Yonda was. There's always so much you know impact you can make as far as splash plays and winning games as an offensive guard compared to Reed. Um, just an incredible player. So fortunate to have him play for Baltimore and his records, uh, every, everything he's accomplished, not only in the regular season, but he was, uh, excellent. He holds a lot of records as far as in the postseason as well, which I think some people overlook easily read for me here. Yeah, I don't know if it's so easy for me because I think Yonda is uh, pretty damn important to the franchise as well, but I do think Ed Reed definitely has to go through. Uh, so he does here on this one. Uh, just a guy who, like I mentioned, has completely made the transition to retirement very, uh, very well. Um, it's funny because he definitely held on a little too long a little, you know, as a player. Like he um, went to go sign for the Texans, and then he was on the Jets later that year. And it's kind of easy for to forget all that stuff, but he very much was – uh, confident in his ability to continue playing when it was pretty clear that uh, he kind of didn't have it anymore. But that just speaks to who he is, I think, just sort of delusional in the sense that he just is always going to believe in himself, which is a good trait for a safety to have. Um, and it's what made him the playmaker he was. So Ed Reed goes through there. Moving on to the gold division. Lamar Jackson as a one versus Marlon Humphrey as a five. Voss, what do you think? I don't think this is an easy decision, personally. Um, I really don't. I really don't. I think Humphrey is probably my favorite player on the team currently. That said, unanimous league MVP. Uh, I, I, I'll give Lamar a slight, a slight nod. Yeah, I'd vote for Lamar as well. I think it's probably – it might be – Fair to say that you're talking about equal or better players in terms of Humphrey being a better player, and he's been here for a year longer and starting since day one. So I think Humphrey definitely has a case, but you kind of have to go with Lamar just by, I think, positional value and the right. fact that he is very much one of the faces of the league right now. Like you said, unanimous MVP, first one in a very long time, and uh, is just kind of got the, got the franchise right where you want to be. So uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and vote Lamar through on this one. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to also go for the unanimous MVP being the one to clinch the the sweep here in a 3-0 fashion. Uh, I love Marlon Humphrey. Super excited about what the future holds for him. Hopefully he can you know, land a few more All-Pro nominations. And I, you can see that he has the potential to be a great and outstanding cornerback in the NFL in, this, in today's league, too, which is so pass-happy uh, and... Maybe he could he could be something truly special in this league. We've already seen glimmers of it thus far. Absolutely. That was a fun one. Uh, and Lamar will go through. Uh, moving on, we have a fun one. Matt Chudon as a three versus Justin Tucker as a two. Kyle, this will be fun. I am sticking with my theme. I think it's fair to stick with my theme here. I very much appreciate Matt Judon's play and performance, and I'm thrilled that he was franchise tagged and he's sticking with this, uh, sticking with the Ravens for another year. I don't know if, whether he wanted it specifically, but he's getting paid for it, so that's pretty awesome. But overall, I think the countless times we've witnessed Justin Tucker put points on the board when nothing else was was going the Ravens' way is is my ultimate factor in picking Justin Tucker 
uh, over Matt Judon. Voss, what do you think? I've been driving the Judon bus for three years now, probably. After his rookie year, I thought he broke out. Uh, but Tucker is just a better player at his position. And although he's a kicker, he's made more impactful plays with game-winning kicks. So I will vote for Tucker. I will, too, with the clean sweep. Uh, it's easy to kind of make the jokes, and like people certainly have, uh, whether Ravens fans or not, that he was kind of the face of the team and the engine of their offense for at least like half of this past decade, or maybe maybe not quite that, but um, yeah, just incredible player. Like we've been touching on, he's one of the faces of of the franchise. Which, like I mentioned, it's easy to mock that being a kicker, but he just is that great of a player, and he is that funny. Uh, and kind of cool of a personality that I think he definitely pulls it off. So Justin Tucker goes through over Matt Judon uh, unanimously. Moving on to the Elite Eight now. What are you guys thoughts so far? There's some big, big name players, heavy hitters, and great characters. It's pretty exciting to have all of that within uh, such a small time frame for this franchise. Oh, yeah. Definitely. We've been blessed for sure, but these next... Uh... Next decisions, I think we're going to be splitting hairs in a lot of cases. Yeah, so this first one might be a little more straightforward. Going back to the Purple Division, you have the final matchup within it um, in Jonathan Ogden as a one versus Jamal Lewis as a two. Voss will start in your corner. I'll go with Ogden. Um, Again, just an... Excellent player, one of the best of all time. So, yeah, definitely straightforward to Ogden to the Final Four. Kyle, what do you think? I agree there. You got to go with uh, with Ogden over Lewis. Uh, both are fantastic players, but you know who's going get to get the nod in this situation. Yeah, Jamal Lewis is an awesome player. Ogden is a Hall of Famer, so kind of not totally fair for Lewis uh, in that case, but he made it probably further than uh, you, you might have expected looking at the bracket initially. So good on him. Ogden advances into the final four, uh, moving on into the black division's final matchup in the elite eight. You have Ozzy Newsome versus Steve Bashotti. Kyle choose. Oh, mercy. This is uh this is hard. <sighs> I appreciate both these men and what they've done for this franchise. Uh, you know, it's it's hard. Do you value Newsom for being here? Do you value Bashadi for hiring him? Uh, so is that attached to... Um, <laughs> it seems know, like this is weighing I, on you, I gotta, I gotta say. Yeah, because I, I really... You know, these guys are... Helped uh, help put football back into Baltimore. Um, I think... Uh, I think I'm going to go with, uh, I keep saying that and starting that sentence, but I don't know how to end it. Um, I like this. I'm going to go with uh, Ozzie Newsome by mm. the slightest of hairs here. And uh, I think, you know, how he's drafted and how he's built this franchise is just as important as bringing the franchise to Baltimore in in what fashion that Bishotti did. Uh, the team wouldn't be as incredible in their performances if not for his efforts through the draft and through free agency and and uh all the contributions he's done and uh shout out to Bashadi for hiring him there's one vote for ozzy Voss. what do you think 
I'm going to go with Steve Bashotti here and very worthy combatants. Maybe both these players deserve to be in the final four or not players, but you know what I mean? Oh, they're players. Yeah. I've met Steve and what a humble guy he is for, for all that he's accomplished. Uh, just to continue singing his praises. I personally thought that he handled the Ray Rice situation pretty well. Can all things considered, um, I really can't find anything that he did, that he any flaws or anything that he's done that set this this franchise back. And uh, you can nitpick Ozzy a little bit if you want to. So, with that being said, um, Steve Bashotti for me. Yeah, it's probably the toughest one we've had so far. Uh, but I'm gonna go ahead and vote Bashotti through. I think that's a good way of putting it, Voss, in that. You can kind of nitpick Ozzy a little bit at the end, but there kind of hasn't been too many flare-ups with Bashadi. I think some people were a little critical of him during the whole Kaepernick fiasco back in 2017, but I thought he was pretty candid about uh, everything that was going on, to be fair. It just didn't hit certain people's ears right, which, uh, I mean, it's your right to uh, react however you want to that because it's such a polarizing situation. But overall, I just think he's a very candid, honest owner, and uh, we touched on it in the last round as to why. Uh, he is so effective and is very highly thought of. And ultimately, he's just going to kind of have the longevity. It feels like he's going to be around for a while longer. He's a local guy. And uh, we're in a post Ozzy Newsom world now. And the organization is humming and doing as well as it's done. Not to say that he was any sort of detriment, but uh, I think it's a, a credit to Bashadi that he was able to keep a guy like DaCosta in the picture, which is very tough to do to begin with. So. It's a, a very tough one, but I'm going to vote Bashadi through. So he's going to be facing Jonathan Ogden in the final four. Moving on, uh, this is a this is probably one that you guys have had in your own head like throughout the years. Ray Lewis versus Ed Reed. What do you think, Voss? It's the classic question, right? <clears throat> and some uh, say Ray was Batman and, and Ed was Robin and... I've heard Ed say that he thinks that he was Batman. Um, it's so hard, you know, two of the best ever to play the positions, first ballot Hall of Famers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To me, it comes down to two things. The game day experience factor with both of them was awesome. I remember when Ray was in his prime, all week you'd look forward to him coming out of the tunnel and lose your voice before the game even started, you know, just because – that was so exhilarating. Um, it comes down to who made the maybe the biggest play. The bi- and to me, as many pick sixes and game winners that uh, that Reed accomplished, Ray Lewis's strip six of Eddie George in the 2000 playoffs that uh, kept the Ravens in that game and, and they won that game as heavy underdogs was probably the most impactful play, at least in the postseason, that either of them made. So really, really, really close, but I will give it to 52. Interesting. Kyle, you got one vote on the board for Ray. I, uh, everything in me and all my homerism and, and my personal feelings are screaming for Ed, but I know the right decision is, as Vass put it, 52. His, you know, I think something that really clinches it for me was when in Super Bowl 47, they were doing media and taking photos. And I don't even know if they took any photos of the trophy with them beside it because, or at least they didn't touch it. I know they didn't touch it. I can't remember if they even took photos next to it or not, 
because Ray said you haven't earned the right to touch that yet. You haven't won that. Why are you, none of you get to be around this? You know, not me, not anybody. We have not won that. And I think that's a, you know, regular player mentality from any sport, but to hear it and to eventually know that those players were able to hoist that trophy, win Super Bowl 47 and how he's led this team uh, through so much and been a champion twice over. You got to give Ray Lewis the nod. We're a very self-aware, cynical society in 2020 um, to some positive effect. And I think to some negative effect as well. And I think as a function of that, we're sort of naturally drifting away from the idea that Ray Lewis was a great player and, had a lot of impact because we look at some of the videos of him making some of the speeches now and think that that's kind of cringeworthy. But at the time, man, like it, it fired a lot of people up. It fired a lot of those players up and uh, fans in Baltimore that want to say now that that's kind of corny, they were probably eating it up at the time. And so like, I think there's some revisionist history with him that I think it's fair to a certain extent, but I think he kind of gets a bad rap a little bit, uh, especially with, um, maybe some the way that he's handled some things. It's just kind of weird, but ultimately I think you guys are both correct. And that I think Ed definitely deserves all the praise in the world, but Ray was just kind of, he was a larger than life figure and that played very well for him throughout his career. And uh, 17 years here, he's a one club guy. Ed went and played for the Texans. Like, you know, he probably should have retired and he kept playing. He went to play for a couple other teams. He's coached for the bills now. So he, Ed is very much his own guy. Ray is just a Raven through and through. So you kind of got to uh, go with him there. Yeah. The other thing is we saw uh, Ray do it with, with Woodson as if free safety, we didn't really see Reed. I mean, I don't what it would Reed have been what he was on the Bears with Erlocker in front of him. We'll never know, you yeah. know. So I think it's so tough because Reed's my favorite player ever, but I think Ray deserves it. Yeah, definitely. So that was a tough one, uh, but a lot of fun. Moving on, this one is pretty fun. It's Lamar Jackson versus Justin Tucker. Kyle, what do you think? Appreciate you going directly to me. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess uh, you, you went first last time, right? Yes, I did. So. But, yeah, Voss, go ahead. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is another tough one, I think. A little it's peek behind the curtain and how, and how I'm uh, managing this, if you didn't notice already. But, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, it, it's not. It's a tough one, right? Um, I think I want to go with Tucker for the longevity and also for the postseason success um Lamar's own two in the playoffs um and I don't think that either of those two losses especially uh, the Tennessee loss was was on him necessarily but he hasn't won a playoff game yet and Tucker's won a Super Bowl and he's played for a much longer time in Baltimore so I'm gonna go with the kicker for you there Kyle I appreciate that and uh that's actually was going to be my argument as well. Uh, we remember Justin Tucker for a lot of plays, but I think his most memorable is in negative conditions in the Mile High City, clutching a double overtime kick against the Peyton Manning-led Denver Broncos in a game that many argue shouldn't have even been a close contest in favor of Baltimore. Uh, and for that undrafted rookie kicker, to produce in those conditions is 
absolutely incredible, and I'm going to go with Tucker for that. Yep, I'm going to vote for Tucker as well. I think Lamar has a chance to uh, be one of the all-time Ravens, but he's not quite there yet. I think uh, if you look um, kind of at what he's done so far, it's all very impressive, but you, you gotta you got to do it for a, a good long while if you want to be uh, mentioned as the all-time great, and I think Tucker deserves to be mentioned as one of the Ravens' all-time greats. Uh, just what he's done this decade. I mean, you mentioned that he was a rookie there in 2012 in Denver. It feels like he had been around for five years at that point because he made a couple of huge kicks that year. As a rookie, like you said, he just had all the swagger, all the charisma. It's kind of like, all right, what the hell is this guy doing? He's a kicker. Why is he acting this way? Why is he like dancing after game winners and like doing the Drake hotline bling thing? And all? it's just like, and now he's like, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Like, and if I were another fa- if I were a fan of another team, like if I was a Steelers fan, that would fucking infuriate me. If a kicker just ripped my heart out and then danced around like on TV, I would be like, what, like, what is this shit? But that's like part of like why I think he is, a true Raven is just like, that's kind of what you do, right? Like Steve Smith, what it, what was his quote about how you like kind of knock people around and you like take their lunch money and you kind of have fun doing it. he's just kind of, even though he's a kicker, I mean, like I said, you can couch it like that all you want, but he just embodies that to a T I think. Damn straight. I saw a quote from Jihad Ward this week and he said that the Ravens acted like the, they were the mob last year. That's how the defense plays. And I couldn't agree more. That's, that's the, uh, that's the culture here. You're not paying protection on this uh, this cover zero uh, man blitz we're going to be sending at you. You're going to have to uh, uh, pay for it somehow. But moving on, uh, this one is pretty good. In the final four, our first matchup is Jonathan Ogden versus Steve Bashotti. Kyle, go ahead. I'm going to go with uh, Bashotti in this one. I know I voted for his counterpart in the, in the last uh, round, but... You know, if you put Ogden up against Bashadi, Ogden's a, a legend and Hall of Famer in his own right. But, you know, the man who owns the team and has done what he's done is ultimately going to be my deciding factor there. Boss, what do you think? It's a weird comparison. It's kind of, what do you value more, upper management or, uh, or labor force in a way? Um, I don't know. I don't know. This is tough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass the buck and make you be the deciding factor here, Jake, and I'll go Ogden. Fair enough. I think it is close enough that you could make an argument either way, but I am going to go ahead and vote Steve Bashotti through. Uh, I just think, like you mentioned there, evaluating upper management versus the, uh, the players down there on the field, as much as I try to side with the players as much as I can, it's just I think Bashotti is too important of a figure in that right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Ogden was around for 11 years, right? He had a little bit of an injury-shortened career, so maybe if he had gone on for a lot longer, maybe if he had been a part of that second Super Bowl team, God willing, then uh, you'd probably have to vote him through over Bashotti. But, um, yeah, I think uh, just ultimately you got to vote the big man through. So he is through to the championship matchup where he will face Kyle, Ray Lewis, or Justin Tucker. Unfortunately, this is where uh, I can't allow my special teams bias to overcome somebody of Ray Lewis's stature. Uh, I'll love to Justin Tucker. Great job making it to the Final Four. But Ray Lewis is, is without a doubt, going to the championship round here. Thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that, obviously. Ray Lewis, um, he was the 
the godfather of the NFL for a while there at the Pro Bowl. He was uh, that was kind of how he carried it. He was one of the main guys of the whole league. So clearly, he's going to advance. Yeah, I, I'd vote for Ray in this one as well for all the reasons we've already mentioned. What do you guys think? Let's say we're doing this five, ten years from now. What do you think? Tucker would have to do to advance to the final round, beating somebody like Lewis over the next however many years his career is going to be. Just the uh, same. He's got he's to nail like another like 15 game winners in the playoffs or something crazy. Sheesh. Yeah, at least at least two <laughs> Super Bowl winning kicks from from great lengths at that. It can't just be like he hits the 19 yard chip shot to win it. The Ravens win. It's got to be like, and Justin Tucker just hit a 60 yard game winner in the snow and in, in, in Heinz field against the two time champion. You know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be legendary. And, uh, and that's, that's a tall order because those moments don't come by often, but when they do, you got to make the most of them. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of a weird comparison, but like, Adam Vinatieri is definitely remembered more as like a great Patriot or maybe, maybe not, but like I, I certainly think of them more as like an all time great Patriot than like Willie McGinnis. Yeah. I don't know. Or like Richard Seymour or something. Sure. Yeah. Somebody like, but I, I, I don't know how long those guys played in, uh, I know Seymour left at one point. It's or Brewski. It's, it's tough I, with them. It's tough with them because they get rid of a lot of their guys, but Right. Vinatieri is like the only comp that I can think of for Tucker. Yeah, yeah. Morton Anderson, or he bunts around a couple different teams, right? Right, yeah. So it's it's tough. But moving on, we have the final matchup of Raven Madness 2020. Final round. Championship is Steve Ashadi versus Ray Lewis. Voss, we will give you the honor to open this one. I, I It should be... Reed and Ray here, right? Yeah, I mean, that's you, the real final. You would think that so, was, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm going to go with Ray here, and, and Reed's probably my second if you were just ranking him on a list, not a bracket style. With Ray, he he instor, he, he kind of instilled a, a civic pride in Baltimore, and he was bigger than the game in that regard. Um, you know, counting how many tackles a guy makes and all that's not – as impressive um, nowadays as it was back then, but he was a playmaker. But again, he just, he was the Ravens. He was the face of their franchise for so long. I don't know how you can vote for Ogden as good as he was. He he wasn't, he was in race shadow the entire time. What do you think, Al? Yeah, overall, I, I'm going to agree with that. Uh, you got to go with, the face of the franchise more than the owner of the franchise uh, Ray Lewis in his absolutely prolific career uh, and all of his zaniness uh, included all of his play included all of who he was and everything just is insurmountable honestly in Raven history it's gonna it, it, it's gonna take somebody somehow even more spectacular to dethrone Ray Lewis from uh, Ravens Madness, number one champion. Yeah, it's definitely got to be him. And uh, maybe we do this again next year and I seed it differently, but it just feels like all the way through, he's uh, the guy that you kind of got to vote for. He's got all the combination of, we. it was like we were defining this a little bit and it's like, how do you even define like who's winning these matchups? But it just felt like combination of qualities of player as longevity, as personality, 
And uh, yeah, like like we've been talking about, maybe there's some revisionist history around the way people see him now. But I mean, for 17 years, he was just absolutely the dude and uh, really fun, fun guy, you know, off the field, on the field uh, and just, you know, tremendous player, best middle linebacker in history. So Ray Lewis is the champion of Raven Madness 2020. Did you guys have fun? We did. Congrats, Ray. Congrats. Uh, out of curiosity, who would you guys pick between Suggs and Ogden? Huh. I would personally go Suggs as over Ogden in this because of his longevity, of his character, and his position being you know on defense is just a little bit more uh, shiny and appreciated more than uh, offensive tackle. Yeah, it um oh, man, that is kind of a tough one. I think I'd right. probably go Suggs. I just think that um just the longevity, right? I think Ogden is the better player, but Suggs was just around for longer and uh probably a bigger personality. I remember you mentioned that Ogden was maybe a little more of a mercurial guy. Really kind of a different type of personality. Suggs just kind of he didn't overthink things. He was just kind of himself. Funny guy, uh more longevity. Almost as good of a player, I think. And, uh, yeah, it, it, that would be uh, that for me. What do you think, Voss? I think I'd agree. It's just a more impactful position. Maybe not more impactful, just the more glamorous. Uh, Ogden, you know, you're not sitting there watching the left tackle block when you're at the game. The most you saw was when he would they would put him on the screen when they did the move the chains, and they would have his hand, you know, moving the chains. And that was pretty much the only time you ever saw him. Suggs was was uh, obviously a big time character and big piece, but those are the I think unanimous Mount Rushmore. I think it has to be Lewis Reed, Suggs, and Ogden. Yeah, definitely. But um, we do now have Solomon Wilcots uh, on site uh, to get Ray Lewis's reaction to winning Ravens Baptist twenty twenty. So let's throw it to you, Sally. Well, the Raven Madness bracket. So let's stay on topic. Seems like he's hugging someone. I don't know who that is. He's back. Okay, so uh, that is Ray Lewis's reaction. Ray Lewis's reaction to winning Raven Madness 2020. What a legend. Yep, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys had a lot of fun. We're running a little long here. I think around an hour and a half at this point. Well, yeah. It was good, good, uh, good battles there. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, very good. I hope we get to do something similar to this next year. Hopefully... March Madness is actually going on this time next year. Um, I'm sure it will. Uh, and we will, you know, maybe tweak it up a little bit, have some fun with it. But, yeah, in the meantime, as far as, uh, you know, little little side projects we've had going on, this one's over, and we'll have some more coming in for you guys hopefully soon. But uh, other than this, it's now going to be draft season full steam ahead for the next couple of weeks. Definitely can't wait for the draft. I'm just trying to uh... – to will into existence all my draft preferences for DaCosta because pretty much everything that I've uh, hoped he's done, he's done since he took over. 
Yeah, it worked out pretty well for me last year, to be honest. I was uh, eyeing Hollywood up as a potential high pick. Um, I liked Justice Hill a lot. And uh, yeah, some of, the, some of the guys they got, I you know was pretty impressed with pre-draft, and it ended up working out pretty well. Um, but yeah, any, any more thoughts before we get out of here, Kyle? Uh, hopefully they don't go off of what I had a couple years back, which was Tim Williams and Tyus Bowser, and uh, they have not produced as uh, you guys and the players that you've been fond of. So uh, I won't be talking to DeCosta anytime soon about who he should and should not draft. <laughs> well, that's interesting because you're the only one of us here that has a direct line to him, even in some slight capacity. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> I'm just stating facts. I mean, you're you're chatting it up with him on these uh, Zoom calls. You know, yeah, just you yep. know, on these chatting it up. Oh, can, yep, can you hear me? Yep. <laughs> Zoom call guy is the best. Um, oh. But yeah, I guess that's all we got. What do you guys say we get out of here? Deal. Cool. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, if you did, be sure to subscribe to the show. If you're not already, leave us a five star review uh, and go ahead and follow us on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at podcast beatdown. You can follow me at Jake Luke. That's L O U Q U E. Uh, Kyle, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at BB underscore Kyle P Barber. And Voss, where can the fine folks find you? Twitter at Vasilis beatdown V A S I L I S B E A T D O W N. Cool. Appreciate that very much. Uh, be sure to keep checking out the site for all the great written content posting the podcast there too. So, uh, check out baltimorebeatdown.com. Check out the Instagram at Baltimore underscore beatdown. And, uh, really appreciate you guys listening. Stay safe out there. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless.